gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back at it again. It's another edition of the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, R.I.C. and the place to be. <laughs> That'd be me, Rick Saratello. Telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. Make sure you check us out over at the NFLDraftBible.com. All of our draft guides available now, including the 2020 prospectus, our in-season scouting update. But today we're going to update you with some of the happenings in college football with our longtime NFL residential guru. He has two decades of scouting experience, of course, in the NFL, CFL, XFL, college football. He joins us here each and every week on the Sports Management Worldwide Hotline. Breaking it all down. It's been way too long since we've spoken to this man. He is Russell Landy. Welcome into the show, Russ. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. I just feel bad missing two weeks while I'm traveling and uh, relaxing and enjoying myself. You're you're covering the country, grinding away, finding players, and I'm just chilling, roaming around Europe and uh, eating and getting fatter. Hey, man, it's not easy being the king. I know you got to do it. Somebody has to fill that role. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you got a chance to, you know, uh, get away a little bit and rejuvenate and buckle up. It's a double chin strap kind of show. As you know, we do this each and every week. They are all with you, brother. (laughs) And, you know, we're going to have some fun today. We've got – it's November. So uh, we've got – all-star game invites starting to go out. We've got uh, elimination games at the college football landscape. Today we are recording on November 6th. It's a Wednesday. The uh, initial college football playoff poll came out. There's some uh, – something tells me there might be a, a team or two to talk about there, Russ. But, uh, you know, let's, um, let's, let's start off with some of these uh, all-star game invites because I know that gets the juices flowing. It gets the whole draft community, uh, you know, gets their blood boiling. And, you know, there's no vaccine here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. But some of that uh, dose of medicine, you know, can uh, help when you start seeing those all-star game invites. And, you know, when I spoke to you yesterday or late last night, uh, there was just two senior ball invites that had officially been confirmed over from the state of California, Evan Weaver and Ashton Davis, the linebacker and safety for the Cal Bears, and since then, there's been a slew of uh, all-star invites for the Senior Bowl announced. I'll run through them real quick. You can follow up with any thoughts on any players that you've had a chance to see, any initial impressions, but uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and Kalegia Lipscomb from Vanderbilt, the running back wide receiver duo, um, as well as Jared Pinkney, so we we assume those three skill guys were all going to get in, and then uh, Harrison Bryant, from FAU for Lane Kiffin. Uh, he's been a riser. We're going to talk about some risers later on in the show. But, you know, this Harrison Bryan, he's been steady. He's been productive. He can catch. He can block. And then a couple of, uh, you know, small school guys, the uh, Southern Illinois, uh, Jeremy Chin safety, big, you know, six-foot-two-and-a-half safety out of Southern Illinois. And then a uh, Louisiana Lafayette offensive lineman, Robert Handy Hunt, who Nagy said, on Twitter was the only player that the senior bowl did not evaluate in person. They loved this film that much. Robert Handy Hunt 
Louisiana Lafayette. I have not had a chance to look at him or the other small school invite Alex Taylor from South Carolina State, the two uh, you know, lesser-known offensive line prospects, and then uh, Davion Taylor from Colorado, the linebacker who I had a chance to see a couple weeks back against Oregon. He caught that C.J. Verdell. There's a lot of buzz about that Oregon running back, C.J. Verdell. Well, let me tell you something. Davion Taylor, he comes from a big-time track and field background. Uh, he cracked down C.J. Verdell from behind. It was about a 90-plus yard run. Davion Taylor actually ran the length of the field and caught C.J. Verdell from behind. Verdell is a 4-4 speed guy, uh, but about 10 senior bowl invites announced here, Russ, and uh, curious to get your initial thoughts and impressions on any of the players I just mentioned. Well, first, you know, I think one of the big things to sort of bring up is, and it really started, I mean, it was Phil Savage at the Senior Bowl um, coming down there, then Jim Nagy. Um, getting someone like you out at the NFL PA game. I think what's nice now is you're seeing guys, like you mentioned, the Hunt kid um, from Louisiana Lafayette down there, um, getting some of these smaller school players to these games because people are actually watching the film. Um, years past, it was always agents convincing directors of games to allow guys to come there because they were trying to sell that their player was a guy and it helps the agents obviously to get them into the games. But I think it really took a big change when Phil Savage took over the Senior Bowl. It's almost 10 years ago now. Not only did he make a lot of changes in the way the game was organized, but he really started saying, hey, we're basing this on film evaluation, not on reputation, not on what agents are saying. Jim Nagy's continued that, and I love that the NFLPA has sort of jumped in there and said, you know what, we're doing this. And I think having someone like you being able to go out and grind and going on the road and, and finding players, that's what not only makes these games much more credible, and I think it's going to make the NFL PA Bowl take huge strides. But I think it really gives opportunities to some players that I think in years past were not getting those chances because either A, they weren't at a big-time program, or B, they weren't getting the big-time media recognition as being a star, even though they were better than some of their teammates who were getting more media pups. So I think it's great. I'm excited. The, kid, the Hunt kid and the two kids from Cal. I haven't graded them, but I've seen a bunch of Cal games. And I'll tell you one thing, every time you look up, Davis is making a play. This an athletic safety. That defense has been a lot better because of his ability to protect the back end and come down. I mean, he's an impressive football player from watching games, not from grading them. So I'm excited. I mean, Senior Bowl has always sort of been the jewel game that everybody wants to go to. But I'll tell you what, the NFL PAC and some of the players that have gotten invites, um, they, that, that's going to be a heck of a game this year. I'm excited to be there. No, we're we're excited about the roster we're building up. First wave of invites went out for the NFL PA Bowl, and we'll have another wave here in about a week or two. And uh, I had a chance to go to Cal Berkeley when I was out there in uh, Palo Alto a couple weeks back. And I'll tell you what, uh, Ross, it was just, you know, just a random uh, weekday. And uh, there was at least half a dozen scouts in attendance just to take in practice. And that Evan Weaver, he's a good-looking player. Uh, I thought he might, you know, I think he dipped his toes in the water and submitted his paperwork to the NFL advisory board. He came back. I think it did him well because, you know, uh, not only did he um, improve his, his skill set, but I think he improved his draft stock. He's now leading the country and tackles, too, I believe, with 126 tackles. He's just all over the place. And, uh, you know, the other last tidbit of news, and, you know, I only bring it up because, you know, Senior Bowl, East-West Ryan, NFLPA, I think, have 
kind of established themselves as, as the big three. A lot of games have come and gone. There's some other lesser known all-star games out there. But a little bit of surprising news, or maybe not so surprising, because they tried to do it three years ago and bring it back to North Carolina. But the Hula Bowl, who I know you surely uh, do remember, it's been about uh, a, a dozen years or so since we last had the Hula Bowl, but it looks like they're back on the prowl. They've uh, got Rex Ryan and Mike Smith now announced as their coaches. They're going to play the day after the Senior Bowl. They're going to have players from Australia and Japan as well as uh, the United States. I don't know if you had a chance to see much or any of it, but any any thoughts in terms about uh, this Hula Bowl coming back? Well, you know, obviously it's great. I mean, the more All-Star games, the better in terms of getting more players' exposure. Um, I just look long-term viability. One of the big issues the Hula Bowl had was expenses. Um, these games have a hard time. The NFLPA is unique in that they have the backing of a place like the, the Players Association, so there's actual money, and the Senior Bowl makes money. Almost every other game is either running at a loss or struggling every year to break even. I look at it and say, okay, how's the Hula Bowl going to last long-term? because their expenses are probably going to be double what any other all-star game's expenses are. And are you going to be able to consistently get NFL teams sending their scouts to a game where if it's the fifth or fourth game, you're not going to have the elite prospects. So how do you justify sending two or three guys there? You might send a scouting assistant there. So that's one of the issues I see with it. I hate to say that because I love the Hula Bowl. I think the tradition that was there for many years was great. When I got in this business, you had the Hula Bowl, you had the Blue-Gray game, you had the East-West game, and you had the Senior Bowl were sort of the four big ones. And I just don't know if the Hula Bowl can survive in this day and age with expenses and stuff like that, but I'd love to see it make it. I just don't think it's really a realistic thing for the long term. Yeah, I like the concept, adding the international flavor, but no, 100%. I agree, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's, it's well, if it would, would be a good sell, I don't know if you could do it budget-wise. Instead of having it in in um, Hawaii, try to do something where you do something in Canada. And say you fill half the roster with Americans and half with Canadians, um, then all of a sudden maybe you get a lot more CFL teams that are interested. Maybe that helps your all-star game make money because the opportunity for CFL teams to look at Canadians who are vital to their league to see them participate in the game after their season, I think would do tremendous in terms of garnering all the CFL teams and the league itself to come to that game. Good point. You're listening to Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast, of course, brought to you by the Sports Management Worldwide Football GM and Scouting course that uh, Russ teaches and preaches. And uh, Russ, I think you guys are starting up another cycle. Uh, If people want to get on board with your Football GM and Scouting course, tell us a little bit about that. Here we are. We just started last night, first chat for an eight-week course. And really what this course is about, it's not something, I don't want to mislead people, so I want people to understand. You don't take our eight-week course, get your certificate and say, yep, I'm ready, and all of a sudden get hired in the NFL. That's not how it's going to happen. That's not realistic. I tell everybody, hey, there are 750 scouting jobs in the NFL and CFL combined. So just because you take my eight-week course, which really what it does is it teaches you the basics of football organizational structure, the basics of player evaluation for each position, and teaches you about ideas on how to get a foot in the door at any level of football. Just because you learn those basics doesn't mean you're ready to take one of these jobs in the NFL. What it does teach you is, hey, 
here's how you're going to climb the ladder. You're going to get a job at a major high school. You're going to get a job at a low-level college football or maybe a high-level college football, and you're going to start the process. And this just teaches you how to get your foot in the door, what the process is, and the best ways to be able to advance your career and separate yourself from everybody else in the business. So it's a great course. I've been doing it for over a decade now. I have guys that are working both NFL, CFL, major college football, pro football focus all around the, the, the football industry. But it's important to realize it's not a just take the eight-week course and all of a sudden you're going to work in the NFL and scouting. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's the beginning of a journey. It's not the end. No, it builds a great scouting foundation. It also you know, a check because it makes you find out, hey, do I really want to be in this business? You know, I just had – uh, you know, somebody start with me, uh, you know, not even two weeks ago, Ross. And, you know, in, in this business, you got to start at the bottom. You got to start somewhere and it's not all glitch and grimer. So, uh, you know, you, you start off with some data entry. It's not fun. Uh, there's a lot of measurables that we collect throughout the year and it could take hours. It could take days. Long story short, never heard back from this person. Uh, you know, hey, got scared off by the data entry. Well, I got news for you. Uh, you cannot be too big for any job in this business. I spend a significant part of my time doing data entry. It's tedious. It requires less brain power. But guess what? Not everybody wants to do it. So uh, the Sports Management Worldwide Football GM and Scouting Course, check them out, smww.com. We're checking out the college football playoff poll. Woo! Boy, there's some things to talk about here. Um We'll get into the rankings in just a second, Russ. There's a couple of, uh, you know, moving and shaking going on already in the media landscape. But, hey, let's talk about uh, there's going to be change already because uh, number two, Alabama, is going to face number three, LSU, or should I say it's number two, LSU versus number three, Alabama. Um, I'm not sure that a loss necessarily drops them out of the top four. If it's a close game, it's a decided by a last second field goal. I think they, you know, a loss they can, either team could sustain. But uh, before we get into your personal top four, let's look ahead at this big time matchup. I mean, at any given moment, just about every player on the field could be playing on Sundays. So obviously there's a, a, a plethora of prospects that we can talk about. But let's just highlight some of the players and matchups that you'll be keeping an eye on, Russ. Well, I think firstly, just, I mean, starting right with the quarterbacks, two completely different quarterbacks, but two well-thought-of quarterbacks in Burrow and Tua, that I think it's a great chance if, you, if you're sort of learning about this business from the outside and haven't really scouted, watch both of them. Really take a look at them. They're very different in the manner in which they play. One is sort of a little bit more methodical, a little bit more of a, let me see how things play out, whereas Burrow, that ball's out fast. He's not sitting around waiting. He's catching it, reading it quick, and the ball's out quickly. They're both productive guys. They're both, I think, legit NFL prospects, but they're very different, so fun guys to watch. Um, I'm hoping Grant Delpit is healthy. Um, he has that ankle injury that people are seeing. He's sort of questionable whether he return, returns in place this week. Um, 
I would love to see him sort of patrolling the secondary, dropping down in the box against this Alabama offense with Judy and Ruggs, the two elite receivers, um, lining up all over the place. I think Delta could be a guy that sort of creates coverage matchups that are more beneficial to LSU. I'm also getting to see Kristen Fulton, see where he's going to line up throughout the game in terms of as a corner. Is he going to get man coverage in some of these guys? I think it's going to be a great matchup seeing those two receivers and seeing where Fulton lines up and if Delta does play hopefully he's close to at least 85 or 90 percent so you can really see how he can affect a team's coverage ability because I really think he's one of those sort of Jamar Adams sort of -of jack-of-all-trades type safety that can really upgrade your defense dramatically more than most traditional safeties because he can cover he can be a box guy in terms of being physical and making tackles near the line of scrimmage and he's excellent playing in deep coverage so I really hope he's close to 100% so we can see him against this elite offense and see what he can do and give us a chance to get sort of a viewpoint of what this guy could be in an NFL defense and how much he could upgrade a team's back end Now there's uh, stars all over the field and uh... You know, it's it's like Alabama, you know, in the past they have been known for defense. They got all kinds of playmakers now on the offense. I mean, they've got about four wide receivers that are arguably first round prospects. Uh they got a handful of running backs that are gonna go very, very high. Um do you play into the narrative at all that Tua is surrounded by so much talent rust that it has inflated his draft stock? Or do you think that we're just getting to the point now where Tua came in as this impact freshman? And, you know, uh, out there in the media world, too, they like to build you up so they can break you down. You're even hearing, like, hey, maybe some some teams might like Joe Burrow more as a prospect. I don't know of any teams, but do you think we're overthinking it? Do you think that, you know, we're getting to the point now where we've been so overexposed by Tua that folks are just kind of looking – Looking for work? Well, I think definitely in the media, there's no question that he was pushed up so high that all people can do now is take shots at him. Um, I think think in terms of the NFL, I mean, I, I don't think the NFL people are really phased or, or um, sort of, they're not changing their opinions on him. But but I do think that some NFL people are looking at it because now they're really looking at this kid closely and they're saying, okay, what does he have that we want? Is our offense a drop back and sort of sit and read and, and, and take your time and go through your progressions or are we in an offense where the ball is out fast? Um, and I think different teams are going to see things in tour that they like. Some teams are going to see a strong-armed kid who's got the athleticism to make plays on the move, sickly built, can run with the ball. Um, I don't know if he's got that super quick release and that ability to make those great just instant timing throws. Um, And I think that's what teams have to figure out. Does he fit what they do? And that's your key to success in finding and developing a quarterback. He and Burrow are very different players. So I can get, I can understand the team having a higher rate on Burrow if he fits what your offense is going to do more of. Because as we're learning with Lamar Jackson, if you don't tailor your offense to the quarterback, you're going to have no success. But if you tailor your offense to your quarterback's skill set and don't ask him to do too many things he's not capable of, you can really have a great offense, even if the quarterback happens to not be a traditional high-end passer. So they're very different quarterbacks. I can totally get some teams having Burrow higher than Tua. 
Yeah, and, you know, props to uh, John Harbaugh over there in Baltimore because, you know, it seems like you would think every good coach does this, but it's not true. Uh, Harbaugh reconstructed his whole offensive identity. He oh, it's unbelievable. Down, I mean, and, you know, I think that's where, you know, you get these first-round busts most of the time, Russ. And we talked about this on last year's, I think, an episode last year's podcast, but – a lot of these busts is because of bad coaching, not because the quarterback can't do it. A lot of times coaches are stubborn and they try to force that square peg into a round hole. Hey, you have to fit our system. Props to John Harbaugh. I think he's got, you know, he, if you remember, he was on the hot seat. They were ready to run him out of town. And now because he, he's been able to adapt, he's been able to adjust. He's got a whole new lifeline there in Baltimore. Well, I think there's no question. I mean, I look at Lamar Jackson, even watching that game um, against the Patriots, which on a side note, I will say, I honestly think the Ravens would have a better chance of beating the Patriots in the playoffs had they not played that game. Because now that they've played it, if you think Belichick isn't going to have a lot of things figured out defensively, I think it's going to be a very different game when they, if they play in the playoffs because that one game of him getting to re- really put his defense in weird positions against Lamar is going to give Bill some ideas because he's the best I've ever seen. But, but in terms of Harbaugh, give him a ton of credit because I, like many people, I looked at Lamar Jackson in college and I saw every single thing he checked the box of for me except accuracy. Every area was great. Pocket awareness, Release quickness, arm strength, all those things. But I thought he was a very inaccurate thrower. And what do they do? They say, okay, how do we take a great athlete who's a super smart kid who works his butt off, who's got a quick release, who's a rare athlete, has a great feel for football? How do we make him successful when his accuracy is not great? And even in the Patriots game, he missed three or four wide open throws. What did they do? They built an offense around his skill set, and they don't rely on him to make 30 throws a game or 35 throws a game with pinpoint accuracy. A lot of his throws, because of the way they constructed the offense and because of his skill set, pulling defenders towards him because he's so gifted, he throws to more open guys. And he doesn't have to be pinpoint accurate. He can be loosely accurate. And I think that's a great credit to Harbaugh and to Jackson working together and really creating this offense. I think it's going to be very hard for NFL teams to defend and slow down over the next five to ten years. Well, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I like the chip that Lamar Jackson carries with him, too. And, you know, I, I think that draft day snub, uh, you know, car- you know, he carried that with him every Sunday. And that's a great point, too, by, uh, by you, Russ, on the Billy Belichick point. Because if you remember last year, that game against Kansas City in the regular season, which I think was a, a primetime game, Kansas City could have won that game. Pat Mahomes overthrew uh, two wide yep, And they were going up and down the field. Yep, and then, you know, Patriots saw him again in the playoffs and had some answers for it. So that's a good point, and that's going to be something. And, and it's funny because Lamar Jackson in the postgame interview said, I know that's not the last time we're going to see these guys. Uh, so that's something, you know, worth filing in the back of the memory and, and uh, keeping notes of. Um, we're going to get your notes now. We talked about the college football playoffs uh, being unveiled, the first poll. And listen, you know, we don't put too much credence into it, but, you know, if you remember a few weeks ago, Russ, I threw a dark horse candidate, and I didn't think they'd be in the mix this early. I thought it would take a couple of losses, but these Penn State Nittany Lions now here, number four. Yep. Uh, I thought of you when I saw that. 
<laughs> and Clemson on the outside looking in. What's going on here, my friend? Well, you know, I think there's a few things. I think firstly, and you brought it up, you were the first one that really talked about it. I had just started looking at Penn State. I mean, they've got a great defense. They're not just an okay defense or or a, a better like top half Big Ten defense. They're a top 10, top 15 defense in the whole country. They have athletes all over the field, whether it's rushing the passer in the, at their linebacker position and in their secondary. And I think they've shown when they've played other teams this year that are pretty good offensively, they've made them look silly. So I think what you're seeing is an elite defense, a very efficient, mistake-free offense. So I think teams looking at that saying, okay, who's better? Well, Ohio State's really good, but their quarterback is very inconsistent. Field is very gifted. In their games, he looks like a rock star. Other games, not as much. Um, obviously, Alabama, LSU, just loaded with talent. But even them, there have been times where I've looked at their offense and been a little flustered, especially with Alabama. There have been times where they're sort of up and down. And then you look at Clemson, and obviously everybody fell in love with Trevor Lawrence and said, wow, this is the, the next greatest thing since uh, they, since Water came around and that he's the future first pick. And it, I'm not saying he's not, but teams have gotten a feel for their offense. They're, they're slowing them down a little bit. And that defense is still trying to figure out, hey, we lost pretty much 26 first-round picks on defense, we're trying to rebuild. And their defense is going through growing pains. So, And when I say growing pains, they're still a top-five program in the country. But I can understand why Penn State is there now. They're loaded, and they have a lot of veteran senior guys that are really productive on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't disagree with a ton of what's going on. I could see the argument for Clemson being in the top four. But at the same time, I mean, I think you're talking about four really good teams that are right there with Clemson. Yeah, and, you know, James Franklin there at Penn State, he's done a great job bringing in talent, rating my great my great state of New Jersey, all kinds of uh, Jersey players up there in Penn State. You know, Russ, one thing I will say that bothers me, and maybe I'm more of a traditionalist, and maybe, you know, maybe it's just time to expand this thing, but one thing that doesn't sit with me very well is, hey, if I'm Clemson, I'm the defending national champion. I can only play who you put in front of me. We're undefeated. And I'm sure there's going to be some changes. And I'm hoping the right thing gets done and Clemson is in that top four. Because to me, until you knock them off, they're still the chance. And for me, I Agreed. think you should, get, you should get a chance to defend your throne. And I get it, the eye test and the body of work. But to me, these are the champs. Nobody's defeated them yet. And there's something that just doesn't sit well with me that they're not in the top four. No, no, I get it. I totally get it. I mean, I really look at it and say, okay, do you look at, okay, the defending champs? Or the opposite could be said is, should it even be these five teams? Or are these five teams really the five teams because they all started other than Penn State in the top five or six in the country? Whereas if there wasn't any rankings until this weekend, do we really think it would be these five teams in the discussion? Or would there be some other teams that are playing better football right now, or at least as good that would be in the discussion? So I get your point. They're, they're, they're the reigning guys, and, and they, they haven't lost yet, but, let's, but they did lose a lot of guys. And the way the system is set up, because of that preseason, the, the preseason rankings, I really think it screws with a lot of this. 
Um, I, I don't think it really sets up a fair playoff system. And to your point, 100%, this will eventually be eight teams. I think it's within the next five years, you will see an eight-team college playoff. I'd be stunned if it, it doesn't happen. Yeah, and let's not forget, I mean, Matt Rule has got Baylor undefeated, 8-0. Uh, yep. You know, and and listen, P.J. Flesh, uh, big-time extension, undefeated, 8-0. Yep. Hosting Best record in 70 years. years. Wow. I mean, it, yeah. do we really think Minnesota or Baylor, if everything started from scratch today or, or this weekend and there were no preseason rankings, I got to believe one of those two's in the top four or five. Just mm. the way they played, the way they've dominated. But unfortunately, the way it sets up with that preseason ranking, starting back in basically like March, it, it sort of leaves it sort of leaves teams like that having to climb and climb and climb that mountain all year. And it's funny because you mentioned well LSU Alabama. If it's real close, one of them could stay. Well, what about Baylor or Minnesota? What if they lose this weekend and then they still win out? Should they? Just get the same consideration. That's what, to me, where the rankings really screw with teams that aren't in that top five to ten when the season starts. They virtually have no margin for error to get a chance to be in the playoffs. That's why they have to expand at some point to eight teams to give opportunities to a Minnesota or Baylor who may lose one game, but be 11-1 and one come the end of the season. They've got to be in the discussion. And, you know, it's funny, it's crazy. We haven't even mentioned one loss Georgia yet. We played Alabama as tough as anybody. Two close matches on the brink of beating them. And, you know, it's just um, a very muddled picture right now. And, listen, we're going to have some fun with it, too. We're going to get the Russell Landy top four in here uh, before we move on to our next segment in the show. So, drum roll, please, hit us with the Russell Landy top four. You know, I mean, it's crazy to me, but i, I got to have LSU at once. Um, I really just look at it and just look at the talent everywhere on that team. Um, I just don't know if there's a team that I feel more comfortable in terms of saying, hey, when I look at how not only talented they are, but how much passion they play with every week, they play like it's the last time they're ever going to step foot on the field. Um, and the next, and truthfully, I, I sort of put my, my next one is Ohio State. I don't think. They're elite offensively because I think passing-wise, they're, they're a little bit inconsistent. But in terms of weapons, in terms of ability to dominate games, both lines of scrimmage, that to me is where Ohio State and Alabama sort of separate themselves. They, I don't know if Ohio State is as gifted as most of the other teams in terms of their skill position guys, but their lines are dominant. Same with Alabama. They have at least skill positions, but their lines are dominant. And that, to me, is what has Ohio State and Alabama there. And to me, I have Penn State four, and I have Clemson. I know you're going to probably want to beat me up because they still haven't lost their defending champion. I put Clemson five. Um, and truthfully, I have Minnesota right there. I think Minnesota is a vastly underrated team. I think they, they're so well coached. I, I think that's a team that they would they would be able to compete with and fight any of these teams in the top five and realistically have a chance to win. But, uh, yeah, to me it's LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Penn State by a smidgen over Clemson. So don't hang up on me because I don't have Clemson higher. <laughs> well, you know, these teams are so close. I'm listening to you talk, and it's like, you know, I, I can – my top four, I could put in any order and justify it, right? But to me, and I understand Clemson lost a lot of talent to the NFL. I get you. And I understand they didn't really play a tough schedule yet this year. I get you. 
But to me, they didn't just beat Alabama. They whooped Alabama. And for me, Agreed, I, 100%. I, get, I, I just can't get it out of my head. To me, it was just such a beatdown. I mean, the game wasn't even close. They blew them out of the yep, water. Yep, I agree with you. Yep, the whole game and, Alabama and, was chasing and, and, just to try to get into it. So, so for me, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna keep Clemson number one on my board. They're the best team. They're the champs. No one's beating them. They're my number one. Call me crazy. That's just how I see it. Number I think two, everybody calls you that anyway, so you may as well stick with your points. Yeah, and 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 number two, I'm gonna go LSU. I just think that the defense. The new offense, the quarterback, Eddie O, I like what they got going on. And I'm going to say that um, Alabama's right there, number three, right behind them. And we're going to find out who the better team is this week. And then for me, I'm going to put in um, Ohio State at four and Penn State at five, even though I am a big believer in Penn State. I'm probably leading the Penn State bandwagon. But to me, until that, uh, they're going to have to go in there November 23rd. You want to crack the top four. You go into Ohio State on November 23rd. You go beat the Buckeyes on their field, and then you deserve that top four ranking. Oh, yeah, they, they, you, you are kidding. They win that game, they're, they're all set. It's, they don't have to they're worry in. about it. They're yeah, in. Exactly. They beat Ohio State, they're in. So that's how I see it now. We'll have fun with this throughout the season. Again, you know, I still don't understand how Oregon is number seven and Auburn, Auburn's number 11, but Auburn beat Oregon. So how did that work? You know, I mean, crazy. that one doesn't make sense. And not only did they beat him, but they dominated him. Yes. So uh, Utah, that's another one. I mean, I saw this team up because they're a really good coached football team. And then we didn't even talk about Oklahoma. I mean, I'm, and I, and I wasn't, on board with the whole college football playoff thing and expansion and all that, but there's no doubt in my mind that you need to expand. You have to do it. And um, that's our college football playoff conversation here on the Infectious Scouts podcast. <laughs> Rick Zaratella breaking it down. We're 40 people, baby. Each and every week we're doing it. So, uh, hey, click it, share it, subscribe it. Uh, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, we're out there. We appreciate it. Um, all right, Russ, you know, I, I, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. Uh, we got the NFL Draft Bible in-season scouting update going out this week, and I've been tweaking the big board. I'm going to throw out a couple names to you. I'm going to th- throw some offensive risers up the board this week. Next week we'll come back. We'll talk some defensive risers up the board. But we will. Uh, for those of you who don't subscribe, go to NFLDraftBible.com. We're going to send out our updated top five seniors and top five underclassmen at each position. Here's a couple guys that stood out to me, and I'm going to throw out one player at each position. I'll let you follow up on any of these guys. Mason Fine from North Texas, Ross. I'm com- I'm starting to come around. He's probably five foot ten, uh, but you know, with the way that the NFL is trending, I'm starting to have a more open mind about this Mason Fine. And you know, uh, he's a short guy. He's scrambling around. He's improvising. He's a lot of what we've seen coming out of the college ranks. And quite frankly, after the seniors, you know, Herbert and Burrow, um, you know, 
I, I, I've kind of soured on Stanley a little bit. Uh, you can throw Jalen Hurt in the mix. I like the FIU kid, but I think Mason Fine, in terms of senior prospects, is right up in there in the mix. Uh, the other guy, I, I, I agree with you. He's a very intriguing guy. Really intriguing, yeah, and I think you're seen, right. Now that teams are – I've seen a few highlights. I haven't sat down and graded them, yeah. but I think he makes a great point because the NFL is different now. If you can have a guy like Lamar Jackson who's not a traditional thrower, he's never going to be a guy that's going to be able to play in an offense like New Orleans where you can pick 70% of your balls. But when you can win in the NFL with a quarterback who may not be as accurate but is very football smart and has a great feel for what's going on and a great pocket presence, then this kid's got to be considered. The little clips I've seen of him, yeah, there's something you have to look at and say, okay, is this the guy I'd love to have as my third guy to see if we could develop something around him? Absolutely. No, I'm I'm actually intrigued and uh, I'm looking forward to breaking down some film on him again. I'm with you. I've, you know, kind of tuned in, saw some games, watched some highlights. But every time every time I see a Mason Fine highlight, I'm like, whoa, OK, well, that was impressive. Um, so Mason Fine is a guy that I think is moving up uh, on the running back side. You know, I had a chance to go see UCLA. Uh, they played. um Boy, oh, boy, who did they play that day? Anyway, Joshua Kelly, the running back there, uh, he's built like a truck. I mean, these are some powerful thighs. These are the biggest set of thighs I've seen on any running back on the scouting trails this year. He breaks through, he rips through arm tackles. He keeps it between the tackles. He's on a run, too. I don't know what the stats are, but if you go back and look at Josh Kelly from UCLA the last three or four games, it's quite all of a sudden now this Chip Kelly team, we talked about them stumbling out of the gates. They've now you know, put about four wins in a row on the back of Joshua Kelly. And I don't know if you've seen some late-night action and UCLA always playing late at night, but this Joshua Kelly, for me, I think you know you got the Keyshawn Vaughn kid from Vanderbilt getting the senior bowl invite. A lot of folks like Scotty Phillips from Mississippi. And I'm just talking senior prospects now, but Joshua Kelly from UCLA is right up there for me in terms of running back prospects. You know, I agree with you. I mean, and really, he's sort of given UCLA a chance this year. I mean, at the beginning of the year, people were to run Chip Kelly out of there. They were saying this guy's a disaster. He's got to be fired. And the other Kelly, the ball, the one who actually plays in the games, has made a dramatic impact. I mean, this kid, I've like, I haven't graded the Pac-12 guys, many of them yet, but just watching UCLA, cause that's where I got my start in football. When you watch them, this kid makes plays. He's a big part of their offense. He's done a lot of things that have enabled them to win games when people are ready to write them off saying they weren't going to win any games this year. So, yeah, he's definitely, I think, an underrated player who's not gotten the national attention because UCLA not only has not been a dominant team, uh, they're on the verge of being written off after two weeks. So I think most people aren't even watching UCLA play this year, even though they're playing very good football the past month. And, you know, that brings me to my next player right there in the Pac-12, another guy playing late at night, uh, kind of under under the national media radar. Um, but in terms of senior wide receiver prospects, I believe, I know it's a poisonous phrase, USC, but that wide receiver there, Michael Pittman, this is a playmaker. He's got legitimate size. He's got great speed. He's got sticky hands. He's an excellent route runner. He's strong. He's physical. There's not much this guy can't do, Ross. And, uh, you know, to me, Michael Pittman has pretty much done all you could ask of him. And I know he thought about coming out early last year, came back uh, for his senior season. 
I think it's going to pay dividends because in terms of senior prospects now, just seniors, I, I don't see any other wideout really, you know, competing with him in terms of the top senior wideout. No, I think you're 100% right. If he'd come out a year ago, he still would have gotten drafted, but he wouldn't have been in that conversation to be one of the top guys. Now, he'll still fall behind some of the underclassmen, but you're right. When you start talking about senior receivers, this kid's right up there at the top, and you talk about big bodies, thickly built. I mean, this is that's what you get with this kid. And in the NFL today, where some of the teams are really focusing on, hey, if I can't have that real explosive little guy, I'd rather have the big, thick-bodied kid who's got good athleticism, who may not be explosive, but he's going to catch contested balls. He'll go across the middle. He can catch those quick turnarounds, stop routes. I mean, this kid's got a lot of those traits. Obviously, some of the early season inconsistent problems in terms of quarterback play at USC hurt him. But, yeah, he's a guy 100% you have to keep your eye on. And if you get a chance to watch USC, take a look at this kid. There aren't many guys that are big, thick, and smooth like this kid that catch the ball well. There's a lot to like about him. Yeah, a very good route runner. And, I, again, another player I had a chance to see when I was out west, uh, you know, taking in that West Coast leg, uh, USC uh, against Arizona. Pittman looks the part, man. He's the real deal. Uh, left uh, position I'm going to cover here, tight end. I got two for the price of one, one underclassman, one senior. And, you know, for many, many years, Notre Dame, I don't know if the streak is still going, but they have a tight end drafted every year for like the last 15 years. This Cole Komet uh, from Notre Dame, he's, you know, crossed my inbox several times. Uh, not someone I've been laser focused in on, but now he seems to be making plays. You talk about the big body, legitimate six foot seven tight end, almost too tall for how I like my tight ends. I think you look at the Adam Shehoons of the world, the Dallas Goderts of the world. Uh, they're almost too tall for the next level. So I think Cole Komet from Notre Dame uh, might, you know, might not be the prototypical size. He's actually too tall for my liking, but this guy's making plays. He can block. Uh, he's rising up boards. And then on the senior side of things, you know, I haven't had, again, I haven't had a chance to really dig into him, but there's just this buzz in Dayton, Ohio. I remember our guy Dane Vandernat from the NFL PA ball early in the season going out to Dayton, Ohio. Check out this Adam Troutman kid. There's a buzz on him. I said, hey, how's he look? He goes, he's, he's got the goods. I don't think we have a shot at him. And he was exactly right. <laughs> Troutman getting that senior bowl invite. And look, uh, Pinkney from Vanderbilt, maybe not having as strong of a year as some people thought. Um, we mentioned the Harrison Bryant kids from, from FAU. Hey, don't count out this Adam Troutman, the small school prospect. He, he could legitimately, by the end of Mobile, he might be the top senior tight end prospect on a lot of people's boards. Yeah, you know, he's a guy I haven't graded, but I've heard scouts mention him saying there isn't a lot in terms of senior guys as a tight end that this guy is going to be a guy. And they were telling me back in August, they said, you, you, this guy's going to end up in Mobile. So I'm excited to see him when we go down to Mobile. Um, I, I love the chance to see a tight end because I think it cre the tight end gives you so many mismatch opportunities. And when you can find, even though the, the height, this kid's got a lot of the traits you like, a small school kid. You like to see him exposed to what it's going to be like down to the senior bowl. He's not going to be the big fish in a small pond anymore. I think it'd be a great chance for him to prove himself that he deserves to legitimately be the number one senior type at, tight end. 
Yeah, and you know, I mean, there's there's been flashes of dominance uh, for this kid. I mean, he just you know go go check the game log. I mean, there's games where he's got double digit receptions, uh, hundred plus yards receiving. So I always love to see when you get such a dominating FCS player, especially an offensive tight end. Now you put him on uh, a senior ball platform against the FBS, the Power Five conference prospects. I mean, this senior bowl week, that's what it's designed for. Players like Adam Troutman from Dayton. Uh, so a couple players there that we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, anybody else you want to mention, Russ, before we wrap things up here and party shots for the people? What do you got for You know, the one small school kid, and I, I really noticed him before the season just doing some prep work because he's a local kid, the kid James Robinson, running back out of Illinois State. Um, yep. Super unbelievably productive kid. I mean, you, you talk about guys to track back. When I don't think when I watch this kid, I don't see that explosion, that top-end speed to be a guy that's going to pull away from people, which I think some people will get a little discouraged by. But when you watch him play, I mean, this is a thickly built, tackle-breaking kid, has a feel for where the holes are creating, where there's going to be space opening up. Um, like this kid a lot. I, mean, I really think this is the type of kid who could end up sticking in the league as sort of maybe not a starting guy, but a backup, fills a role. Um, he's never going to be your guy that catches 70 balls, but he's caught a bunch over his career, about 55 balls. He's a, probably, if he stays healthy, going to end up with over 4,000 rushing yards in his career. This kid's a really good football player. I hope he ends up at one of the three major bowls, I think for the NFLPA or even for the Senior Bowl. This kid's a kid that deserves some consideration, even though he is not a premier athlete. He is a really good runner with the ball and a powerful kid. Well, you know, if James Robinson is out there listening, I'll go on record and say, hey, James, if you don't get the call to Mobile, we'd love to have you in Pasadena. Uh, and I agree with you, Russ. Uh, not going to jump out on the measurables, not going to blow anybody away at the combine, but he's been steady, he's been consistent. He's very well put together, as you mentioned, kind of between the tackles type of running back. He can also, uh, you know, catch the ball efficiently out of the backfield. James Robinson uh, from Illinois State, you know, to me, I have him as my sixth-ranked senior prospect on the big board, which, you know, realistically probably puts him in the middle of the round, day three type of selection. Uh, but somebody I do think we – I have a chance – I have a feeling we have a chance to see him – uh, down there in Mobile, Mobile at the Senior Bowl. So, um, boy, oh, boy, that's another uh, hour of power. I mean, each and every week I talk to you, Russ, the, the hour just flies by. Uh, we've covered a lot of prospects. We've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of top shop scouting, uh, you know, talking shops here each and every week. Uh, of course, you can follow Russ at Russ Landy, one of the best Twitter followers out there. Uh, always keeping tabs on the latest moving and shaking in the NFL draft scouting community. Uh, parting shot for the people, Russ, before we wrap things up. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The big parting shot for me is, I mean, next week's when we get on this podcast, are we going to really be talking about anything but the LSU-Alabama results and which which stars play well? Because, I mean, all I am ready for this weekend is just watching that game. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Those two elite quarterbacks, the other 400 first-round prospects that are playing in that game, I mean, it is just going to be a great game. The atmosphere is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to watch. 
No, you're right. We'll probably need the whole hour to break down that game. <laughs> and I think it's slated for like a 3 o'clock or 3.30 kickoff. So, uh, you know, make that liquor store run early. Order the pizza and wings up early. And, and uh, you know, plan a seat because I, I think this one's going to go down to the wire. Uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to have a lot of uh, implications on how the remainder of the season unfolds. And, hey, we'll be back next week. Break it all down. In the meantime, uh, make sure you follow us at NFL Draft Bible, at Russ Randy. Go to NFLDraftBible.com. Download that prospect right now. We've got the in-season scouting report going out this week. A lot of my West Coast travel notes, Oregon, Oregon State. I've got the George Fox defensive end, Caleb Dalzell. 2016 popping in checking out the d3 prospect information like that you won't get anywhere else till the next time everybody once it gets into your stream there's no vaccine you've got the sickness too thanks for listening to the infectious scouting podcast